Hi, and welcome to Murder, She Read, the true crime podcast where we read books, give each other dirty looks, and drink copious amounts of wine. I am sitting across from Victoria Campbell. And I am across from the ever-lovely Amanda Fall. What are, what are we reading today? Today we're reading a book called You Think You Know Me by Ryan Green. Uh, fun fact, I took this to be fact. Um, and again, I've delved into a work of light speculative fiction about a murder case. I can't wait to see what you've got. I'm pretty excited about it, too. So shall we jump into the loose interpretation of facts I have on hand? I mean, fuck yeah, let's get to it. All right, let's hit it. Um, So in the first chapter, we learn that we are in Evansville, Indiana, and we meet a young boy named Herb Bowmeister, who is reported to be very loved by his family. His dad is an anesthesiologist, and his mom is tasked with raising children. Um, However, when Herb is 12, he starts to exhibit some pretty odd behavior. He becomes obsessed with the macabre and the grotesque, and um, he starts making a lot of off-color jokes, and um, his friendship group is really dwindling. This Um, sounds like my 20s. I'm pretty sure you didn't do this. He asks his friends uh, how they think the urine would taste. Definitely never done that. (laughs) Uh, If it would be better warm or cold. Yeah. Um, so some of this could be argued that he's just doing this shit because he's 12 and he's a boy. Right, but I also have that he, uh, at one point, peed on a teacher's desk and then left a dead crow on another desk. Same. He's pretty into, uh, leaving some fun relics around that I would be so pissed if I found on my desk I would quit immediately. I mean, that's like some cat behavior. (laughs) It is. Um, and once he was seen prodding the corpse of the crow that Amanda mentioned that later ended up on... Uh, the desk, and a boy from his class walked by him while he was doing it, and observed her basically huffing the corpse to get the smell of death inside of his prepubescent nostrils. Are you sure he wasn't just, like, hissing? (laughs) You really want him to be the human embodiment of a cat. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So at school, kids move away from him. As Amanda said, he pees on his teacher's desk, um, which is obviously reported to his parents, but they don't do much in terms of intervention. Um, they subscribe to the boys will be boys school of thought, but that's like definitely boys will be psychopaths, I would say. Still a school of thought that we had, we have, we adhere to. <laughs> we sure do. Um, and so by the time he graduates high school, he's a total loner and has basically alienated everyone. Right. At some point in his teens, he was admitted for a psych evaluation by his father, where it was determined that he had schizophrenia and possibly disassoci- disassociative identity disorder. Um, but absolutely nothing was done to treat it. Nope, they were just like, got it, go on, back out there. I mean, that's really odd considering that his dad, I mean, anesthesiologist, you still go to med school, right? You're a doctor. Yeah, you have a general idea of how things work in the world. You shouldn't ignore a schizophrenia diagnosis. No, that's something you want to take pretty seriously, I would imagine, and I am not a doctor. Um, a quote about Herb from one of his classmates is, you couldn't be mad at a clown for spraying you with water, and you couldn't be mad at Herb for pissing on your shoes. I was like, is that a I think you could be mad at Herb (laughs) for pissing on your shoes. I'd be mad at a clown for spraying me in the face with water, or any substance. a lot of things to be mad at in the story so far. It's true. Um, but we're off to college with Herb. He goes to Indiana University. Uh, he does not do well there. He does a semester's worth he drops back drops out excuse me and he goes back to his small town um his father is not happy with this 
but he helps her get a job at the local newspaper, uh, but it's he's soon let go because of his weird behavior, his off-color sense of humor. Um, in one anecdote, he picked up some visiting clients, like advertisers for the newspaper, in a hearse and drove them around in it, and they were pissed. Yeah, he it did say that like him and his friend, I guess, shared this hearse that they found, or bought, I assume, um, which I just think is fun. You know, it feels like a good move for an 18-year-old, just a light quirk. Um, but when paired with his corpse sniffing, I think we're, we're walking right. into like, a field. you got to separate it, but, like, if you just have the hearse, I think it's just, like, a fun, like, identity. Hearse boy. Are no? you hearse boy? <laughs> Let's not go with that, I guess. Good. I know what your next car will be. Um, <laughs> so, after he gets fired from the newspaper... Um, he's upset and he makes the decision to go back to Indiana University and he enrolls in one class. Amanda, can you guess what that class would be if we know about his interests? Um, I'm guessing not communications. No, no. Mm-mm. Not what was great that? at that. It's anatomy, of course. Oh, uh, yeah. And he was sure that he would get to touch a corpse, take a corpse apart. Uh, but no, you know, you learn like the deltoid and the big... Right, this is an intro to anatomy. You're not in med school. No, he was convinced he was going to get into his favorite dark arts but he doesn't but this is where he meets julie right correct he meets julie uh through what club do you know uh i imagine some republicans club because they <laughs> bonded over their very staunch conservative beliefs yep it's the young republicans club so he joins them but then he also starts going to a lot of gay bars in indianapolis and um making friends with other men um the author points out here that his off-kilter sense of humor was never an issue in the Young Republicans since no one ever made a joke. Okay, that's fair. Um, and so, yeah, as Amanda said, he meets Julie, whom he will eventually marry in 1971, and she is a school teacher. Uh, but there's an issue in their marriage, which is... Six months after the wedding, he spent two months in a psych hospital after being committed by his father? That is one problem. He's also not attracted to Julie at all. Oh, no, he's not attracted to women. No. But Julie doesn't know this. No, uh, but he does everything to avoid um, consummating their marriage. He changes in the bathroom so she never once sees him naked. Yeah, it comes out well later in interviews with Julie and the police that he was apparently ashamed of his scrawny body. (laughs) Which I'm like, okay, fine, but that does not explain why in decades of marriage you've never once seen your husband naked. That's a huge red flag. Yeah, what's he hiding under there? Like... I will change in front of almost anybody without a second thought just because I don't give a shit. But no one, not even your wife? No one for him. Well, later it will be many people. But um, so as Amanda said, his father comes to visit the couple at their six-month wedding anniversary and Herb Sr. is like, what the fuck is going on here and has him committed to a mental institution. He is again diagnosed with schizophrenia, uh, which basically served as a catch-all at the time for like anything weird going on. They were like, you've got schizophrenia. I mean, when was this? This was still 1971. Yeah. Um, So we weren't doing great in the field of psychology, and mental health was definitely stigmatized at the time. Um, But this diagnosis basically gives Herb a new lease on life. Um, He's now able to remove blame from himself for his darker urges, for his obsession with dead bodies, for his sexual desires. Um, And he blames it all on his other personalities, not on himself. And he starts weirdly compartmentalizing that, like, the person who is into these things is not Herb, so it's totally separate, not his problem. Interesting. So he comes back from the institution, and he returns home, and he's able to hold a job. He consummates his marriage with his wife at least twice because they have two children. They have three. 
Three. At least thrice they have three children. <laughs> the third one out of my fictional read. Weird. I'll throw it in there, don't we? Um, and he seeks out his first homosexual interaction with a sex worker. Really? Yes. And in the book... I was going to say, that's in none of my research, but sure. Well, since this is a light work of fiction, um, he isn't into the actual act itself, um, as his partner's too focused on his own gratification, which, hello, this how sex kind of works. Okay, but how are they right now? So when he gets married, he's 25. So we're looking at maybe 26-ish when that's happening. Mm -hmm. They're not doing any research on his life until he's 50. There's no way that they tracked down a sex worker he fucked 24 years ago. Like, that is total fabrication, right? Has to be. I'm gonna call bullshit. I spent hours of my life on this book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm still calling with a bullshit. a lot of weird graphics. I am Thank here you, Amanda. to fix all of the problems with this book. Are you going to send me to therapy? Because it's necessary now. No, you're fine. Um, so according to this book, uh, this theme continues in the strings of sexual partners that may have been fabricated that he has outside of his marriage in the intervening years. Sure. Um, what's going on with him at work? So from 26 to 38, he works at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. In this time, he sent Christmas cards with him and another man dressed in drag. Christmas feels like (laughs) the appropriate time for that. He earned the title of program director and then was fired for peeing on a letter addressed to the governor. He loves to pee on everything. Right. Um, in 1979 at 32, they have their first child, Marie. Okay. In 81 at 34, Eric with an H is born. E-R-I-C-H? That's the one. Okay. And then in 84, when he is 37, Emily is born. Did not know a thing about Emily. Emily was born in 84. Interesting. Good to know. In 1985, am I skipping too far ahead? Okay. In 1985, the body of 17-year-old Eric Rodegar was found in Indiana. That is the first body that was found that can be attributed to him. Obviously, much, much later. But So it seems like after the birth of his last child is when he snapped. Okay. Um, I will toss in a little bit of information that I don't Fiction. believe is anecdotal, <laughs> but maybe it is. Um, after he gets fired from the BMV for peeing all over the paperwork, which was on his boss's desk, mm-hmm. um, his father finds him part-time work at a thrift store. This is like the last... That is true. That is a fact. Thank God. This is the last connection that Herb has not burned. Um, but he's none too pleased. He always saw himself as like a high-powered, rich boy executive, and it's not happening for him. Um, But after Herb has been working at the thrift store for two years, his father dies, um, and with him, any chance for Herb to fully prove himself to his father? Yeah, I guess it wasn't in your book, but his father was lightly abusive. Yeah, he did not sound like a good man. Not like physically abusive, but mentally abusive. Clearly, if you're not getting your child treated for the mental disorder that they have, like, that's a form of abuse for sure. Yeah. So his dad's dead. He's dealing with it in his own way. The book indicates... did his dad die? Doesn't say. I mean, it probably did. But actually, I don't think that it did. Um, I do know in September of 85, he uh, um, was drunk and got in a hit and run. Obviously, he was the hit and the run. Uh, He got off on those charges. The following March, he was charged with auto theft, but he also beat that charge as well. So he's got the beginnings of a criminal career. How was that not in my book, but all of the graphic sex was? Hmm? Well, because your book was (laughs) fiction-based. Okay. 
Um, I would like to toss in that after his father dies, he borrows 4K from his mom, and he opens up his own thrift store. Save-a-lot. Yes. Yes, or in 1988. Save-a-lot. Save-a-lot. That's in 1988. It was super successful. It allowed the family to move to this 18-acre estate called Fox Hollow Farm. I think if your house has a name, it's pretty fucking fancy. Mine sure doesn't. Um, it does. We just won't say it. <laughs> um, but he makes more than 50K the first year the... Um, the store is open, which in 1991 money is 94k okay, in our gold, which is amount. a lot. Um, and yeah, and as you said, they move out into this giant country home and start living this luxurious life that they've always dreamed of. However, is what I have written in the okay. whole caps next. Um, Herb travels often for work. He goes to auctions um, to buy stuff for the thrift store, and he's right. driving along I-70. In 1989, the body of Stephen Elliott was found. In 90, Clay Bateman. And around uh, the time of his move to Fox Hollow, the body stopped showing up around uh, I-70. Oh, because he wasn't driving it anymore? Well, because he had a place to keep the bodies. Oh, I see, I see. Okay. (laughs) So what I had read was that um, he maintains his travel for work because um, he just tells his wife that he has to go get all of this stuff. In my Lord Sexually Loaded book... um, there's a lot of talk of his first kill, which I would imagine, and now in retrospect, was clearly fictionalized, so I'll spare you the details. Um, <laughs> no one has that information. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, the cops find these bodies that Amanda mentioned, and they surmise that they have a serial killer, um, but they don't pay much attention to right, it. Right, because it's a string of gay men showing up on roadsides, and at that point, early 90s, they're deemed as living... Um, what's the word? A high risk. High risk lifestyle. Yeah. So they're not looking into it. And they, it took a while for them to even connect all those dots because some were in Indiana, some were in Ohio. Those obviously weren't communicating. I think most of that was connected way after the fact. Yeah, there was something else in this book, and stop me if this one has been fabricated stop before. If you're lying. Yeah. <laughs> um, the author here. Ryan Green goes on an aside um, and mentions that at the same time that these men's bodies were being found, there were um, five women who were murdered along I-70 as well, that they were working late nights in stores. That is true, and there is a possibility there's like a light conspiracy that it was him but it's also very likely that it was someone entirely different. Well, my book is sold on it. So oh. what the author says is that um, these five women were killed. Um, they were like, all shot, though. Like, yeah, point blank. Um, totally not his M.O. Like, not his victim, not his weapon, not his style. That's fair. The author makes a leap that, like, the the deaths of the young men or the gay men who were killed were acting out his one desire and then shooting these women would be enacting his hatred toward women. But these also took place in our neck of the woods as well. Like these went into Missouri and Kansas, which there's no reports of him traveling that way. Like it is fair like that he included that in there. He shouldn't have been so brazen to say that it was definitely her, (laughs) but there is uh, some people who believe that there might be a connection. All right, well, I'll leave that behind us. Um, so we're hitting the first summer that Julie takes the three kids to their paternal grandmother's house. What year are we in? I'm going to go with it's probably 93. Um, Herb stays behind, and one night he takes a man named Jeff home with him um, and takes him down to the pool, which is surrounded by 
fucking mannequins. Yeah, and but mannequins like literally dressed up to look like friends. Yeah, and like which is creepy and sad. It is both creepy and sad. The mannequins are in like party poses, hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that would be what happened if I ever moved from Kansas City. You would just fill this room with mannequins. Yeah, they're in the closet right now. Don't all go dressed in, in my clothes. What's weird? What's weird here? Everything. We're friends. Um. So, and the reason why he had so many mannequins is that he allegedly was a hoarder. He would buy all of this stuff for the thrift store, but then just, like, pile it up into their mansion house, and it was driving Julie insane. Right. It said that the mansion house itself was not taken care of. Like, the yeah. yard was neglected. The house was full of shit. The only thing that he cared about was his pool room, which the wet bar was always stocked. Yeah. The mannequins were always dressed. <laughs> I imagine not always, but usually dressed. I hate an indoor pool in a very visceral way, and I hate them more now. As you should. They smell bad. It's always so steamy in there. So during the period of 93 to 94, eight men are reported missing. And like we said, there's no motive to investigate gay men in 93 and 94. They're considered to live high-risk lifestyles. The cops just didn't care, which is so upsetting. It is, um, and it was really symptomatic of the times. I have another anecdote here, which in retrospect can't be corroborated, so I'll skip it. No, please tell me. No. Nope. <laughs> Come on, I want to talk about it. Fine, here you go. Um, there is a man named Alan Broussard who goes missing. Yeah. Um, in the book, Alan is going to meet his boyfriends at a bar, and Herb is parked next to him in the lot outside. Um, Herb rolls down his window and says to Alan, oh, I can tell you're so happy. Do you have, like, a new love in your life? And Alan's like, yeah. And Herb's like, I'm not trying to get in the way of that, but do you want to hop in this car with me and do some coke, and then I'll send you back in with some for your boyfriend? Well, that's 100% not true. (laughs) And Alan says yes. Um, And he gets in the car with Herb, and they take off. uh, Driving, and Herb is speeding. Alan is freaking out. Alan jumps out of the car. Herb is able to kill him on the side of the road with a belt. Interesting. Um, and then pops his body in the trunk and takes him back to the pool. Okay. Um, but yeah, in retrospect, now as we're going through this, no one knows this. Yeah, no, there's no one that could tell that story, as we'll find out at the end of this. Yeah, pure conjecture. Um, so in 94, Save-A-Lot starts full-on tanking. Right. Uh, they're not making any money. He has to close. Did he close both of them at this point? I don't really know. I think he just closed one. Yeah, that's not making any money. His marriage is dicey, which it's probably been dicey since day one. Um, he is drunk more than not. Yes. In late 94, he gets a DUI. What else happens that year? Well, um, I have that winter does not go well for the families, you've said. The next thing that I have is that one day... Their son, Eric, with an H. Sweet 13-year-old Eric. Sweet baby Eric is out playing in the yard, and he comes trotting back to the house with a skull on a stick, um, and he presents it to his mother, who is shockingly horrified. Right. Uh, so Herb comes home, and she's like, dude, what the fuck? And Herb's like, it's my dad's. He is a doctor. It's a, it's a skull for anatomy purposes. He, he, he didn't want it, so I... Put it in the yard, I guess? He said that he buried it so it wouldn't scare the kids. Right. And then Julie's like, what? And he's like, what are you accusing me of? And then, like, flips it on her and is yelling at her that she's a bad mom because she didn't, um, like, have a talk with Eric about it. 
and she didn't deal with the situation as she should have, and he somehow manages to turn it on her. Yeah, and she said that the next time she went out to the yard, the bones were gone. She assumed animals came, scavenged them away. Um, Your husband scavenged them away. Yeah, she's later quoted (laughs) saying why she wasn't concerned, because it wasn't like I was sitting at home with nothing to think about. Apparently she's too busy to be concerned about a fucking human skull. That's totally fine. I wish I were that busy. What else is happening in your life that you're like, skull, bottom of the priority list? (laughs) Oh, little Eric. So over the course of the next summer, he's up to the same tricks. Julie and the kids go back up to his mom's house. um, And we know definitively, excuse me, that he murdered at least four men, but there may have been more. Oh, they found, yeah, they found more bodies than that but this is just from the summer oh yeah from the summer um and one of these men was named roger and one night roger's friend tony who has been looking for him for a couple of months like roger was a fixture around the gay bar scene and he was really good friends with tony and suddenly he goes missing like no phone call no nothing um and roger's really worried about him no roger's missing thank you tony's really worried about him (laughs) At least at this point, the police are kind of onto something. They're starting to put all the dots together. They believe these reports. They're still not doing much about it, but they're like, yeah, 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 this is an issue. We'll get to it. Yeah, they're not prioritizing it, but you're right. It's on their radar, at least. Um, So Tony is hell-bent on finding out what happened to his friend. And he's at the 501 Club one night, and he sees... Herb there, and Herb is staring like a psychopath at the poster of Roger that's hanging on the wall. Right. Like, with this, like, very eerie, leering look, and it sends all of Tony's hackles up, and he's like, holy fuck, that guy killed my friend. And so Herb comes and approaches Tony, and Tony's like, well, I'm, I'm gonna find out one way or another, and he lets... Herb, buy him drinks, and he laughs at his disgusting jokes, and he flirts back with Herb, but he flirts with him. And Tony ultimately allows Herb to take him home. They do some coke in the car. Um, Herb tells him when they arrive at the manor that he's fixing up the house for friends and that it's uninhabited, but... Right, he said he was the landscaper. Yeah, and he also then said he was the painter. Oh. He's um, got a lot, of, a lot of hats. Well, he's busy as well. Um, but they go down to the pool... And Herb enacts his, um, what I read in this book was his favorite old ruse, which was asking his soon-to-be sexual partner, do you want to have the best orgasm of your life? Okay. And, um... Seems hard to pass up. Yeah, I think most people would be like, yes, please. Um, so he whips out a... Hose. A hose, yeah. A length of hose, and he starts choking Tony with the hose, as he theoretically has done so many men before him. And Tony is like, fuck, this is exactly how Roger must have died. How have I gotten myself into this situation? Um, And as Herb continues to choke Tony, he realizes that the only thing he can do here is play dead and hope that Roger stops. Right. And he was at least smart enough to, he didn't drink any of the drinks that Herb prepared for him. He made sure that like, because that was Herb's MO, was drugging them and getting them to submit and then handcuffing them and then choking them out. Um, no, you didn't have all this? No handcuffs Just for me. Just lies for a you? Lot of, a lot of graphic right. sex for me. Well, and Herb at this point in the gay bar scene was going as Brian Smart. So that's what everyone knew him as. Right. 
but so Tony goes to the cops and is like, hey, Brian Smart, look at this fucking guy. But it was dark when Herb drove him there. He doesn't remember. He's not familiar with northern Indiana or Indianapolis, wherever they were. Has no idea what the house was. He remembers seeing a sign that ends with farm, but I imagine that's probably not the only farm up there. Right. Cops drive him around for an hour. He doesn't see anything that he recognizes. He only knows Brian Smart, has a vague description, and they're like, dude, we can't do anything with this information. Like, this isn't enough. Exactly. Um, and that night after um, his, after Herb's attempted murder of Tony, um, Herb drives him back to town. Yeah. And they set up a date to meet the next week at the same time at the same bar. Um, and in the interim, outside of Tony going to the cops about Brian Smart, he also is telling everyone he knows, if you meet Brian Smart, he is a murderer. If you meet Brian Smart, he's a murderer. Um, so in the interim, Herb's life is a mess. As Amanda mentioned, he is drunk all of the time. Uh, he's certain that Julie's going to leave him, and his business is in the toilet. And he, in the book because there's a lot of loose interpretations of his mindset, um, decides that the only way to salvage his life is through killing again, because that's, like, when he has control in his life or whatever. Sure, I mean, put a motive in there, Why I guess. I, I'm sure he leave. had a lot of reasons, mostly mental instability for murdering, but fine. Um, so, in this vein, he heads to a gay bar, uh, but when he introduces himself as Brian Smart, everyone freaks the fuck out. Um, and he runs out of the bar... And blessedly, Tony is there that night. Tony sprints out after him, gets the license plate off of his car. Um, He goes to the cops, and he's like, look, this is who killed my friend. This is who basically abducted and tried to kill me. This is his license plate number. And so the cops find out that it is, in fact, Herb. Yeah, this was a year later, though. This was a year after the first attack of Tony. Um, Now, this was, we're looking at August 95 at this point. But still, they've got no evidence. They just have this identification. They need proof. I mean, they still don't take... You know, yes, please, refilming. Just a line break for this <laughs> They still don't take just, like, general testimony without well, yeah, evidence, right? Evidence, yeah, yeah, they have to have proof. So they go to search the farm, and Herb's like, no, you don't have a warrant. And so then they go and just Julie's there. And Julie's like, fuck no. Because I guess Herb told her that they were trying to frame him for theft or something dumb. Yeah, they said something he lighter. stolen goods. Yeah, so Julie's like, no, you can't do it. I've only found one skull. It's nothing to be worried about. <laughs> <laughs> He's not guilty. Get the fuck Julie, away. Julie, Julie. <laughs> Uh, weirdly enough, his marriage really falls apart at this point, and uh-huh. Julie officially leaves him two months after the police show up to the farm. Right. Uh, she files for divorce. Oh, here we go. Six months after she files for divorce, all the Save-A-Lot stores close. Okay. Herb is so devastated by the state of his life. Nothing is going any way that he wanted it to go. What do you got? Um, I have, as this is all going on, and um, he actually goes and stays with his mom for a while. Yeah. Um, because Julie was like... Well, get the fuck out of my house. Yeah, Take your also... skulls with you. <laughs> <laughs> no? Not a direct quote? Wasn't in the book? Oddly Wasn't enough, in my no. notes either. I made that one up. Um, so he goes up to stay with his mother, and he takes Eric with him. 
which he's not supposed to do. He was oh, supposed to oh, drop Eric yeah. off in school. That's right. Um, so Julie has to have the cops go get Eric because she's freaked out um, about him being up there with his dad. Um, they bring Eric back, and then their divorce proceedings start to proceed. Right. June of 96 is really not Herb's month. What Nothing. Else, what else is going on for him? Well, Julie lets him or lets the police search the house. She tells her lawyer about the yard bones. Uh, she also tells her lawyer that her and Herb <laughs> only had sex six times in their decades-long marriage. You know, I read that. D- that one was true. That was in the book. Julie did say that one. Um, and that's when you get the, he was embarrassed by his scrawny body. She never saw him naked. So the police search the yard. They eventually find scattered remnants of 11 men on the property. That's horrifying. Bone fragments were used as gravel, which is so fucked. Oh, no. Yeah, they've got bone gravel in the yard. Your children are playing in that all the time. Yeah. he. It was like like tiny little things. They find teeth. They find gravel. Or not gravel, but they find teeth and small bones that had been used as gravel in the yard. That is foul. I think the most terrifying thing I've ever heard. There's something about that that's just is like fucking with me. Yeah, it's chilling. And those children are probably just like kneeling in it, yeah. playing with trucks and shit, riding yeah. their bikes on it. Oh. So many things. Only eight men were identified, and Herb is suspected of so many more murders. So we've got the ones on I-70 that were connected with him. We've got the eight and the, well, we've got the 11 total, but eight that they could pinpoint who they were. Um... But I think they ranged it up to maybe 20. Okay. Um, Did your book say something along 67? It was 670. (laughs) Thank you, Amanda. Wow. Um, No, it didn't actually give a cumulative number. But it did add in one, in addition to the conjecture about uh, the women that had been murdered along I-70. Did you read anything about his brother? No. I know he was the oldest of, like, four I don't know how many of them there were. Again, I thought he had two children. Um, <laughs> so I don't know that the numbers are right. I know that there were at least three of them, but if history proves anything, there were four because the authors ignored one. Um, but his second... Younger? Yeah, was um, strangled to death in his hot tub with the length of hose. He lived in Texas, and it was whilst Herb was in Texas on business. I didn't read that at all, but it seems like his murders were really sexual. I'm. Don't look at me like he fucked his brother. That's, I mean, he Let is. Let the record stand that I did not look at her like he <laughs> fucked his brother. I don't even know what face I would make to convey that. I'll take a photo of it for you next time. <laughs> I guess. I mean, yeah, he was a full out demon monster, but I don't know that he fucked his brother. <laughs> sexually motivated. Well, all of his murders were sexually motivated. There's some large steps being made here. By me, mostly. No, by that author. But, um, just an interesting coincidence then. Maybe, or maybe it never happened. Yeah, I'll get the Googler later. Um, so, how Amanda does Herb's, does he go to trial? What happens? Oh, you want to you wanna know the end? Yeah. All right. June 30th. Told you June was a bad month. We're now at the end of it. Nothing's gone right. Herb flees to Canada. Uh, July 3rd, Herb shoots himself in a park. He leaves a note, which is nice, I guess. He blames his depression over failing marriage and uh, his business for his suicide. He makes no mention of the bone gravel. No mention of any murders. And... 
yeah, that's fucking it. Except for the fact that... He killed his brother in a hot tub. He killed his brother in a hot tub. Um, the police did find a hidden video camera in the pool house, so it's very likely that he recorded all of those murders. A trooper found Herb asleep in his car the day before the suicide and said that Herb had a large stack of tapes in his back seat. What? Yeah. The videos were likely disposed of and have never been recovered. No. Yeah. Somewhere in Canada, there are VHSs. Unless he burned them. Who knows? They're probably in another save a lot, but the Canadian version, like poutine a lot or something. I hope that's not a thing. Canada, let us know. That's all I've got on the... On the murders in the case. It didn't end well. No, I mean, that's also all that I have. And I will say, the book that I read was 125 pages. We're usually in, like, the 350 territory. Uh, mostly because this was all fiction. Right, this was a quick episode. It feels like the book should have been 40 pages. But, I mean, if you took out all of the conjecture. All of the probably lies? probably 20 pages. Um, and in terms, since we're trying to transition to actually being better at being a book club... Yeah, tell me about um, the, like, wild fabrications that we know of. So there was just a lot of really, I will use the word gratuitous, sex in there. Um, and a lot of the author... So, like, when I was reading it, I didn't know what the end outcome was, right? So I read it once, and as I read, I make notes every chapter to talk to you about. Um, so as I was reading it, I was taking it basically as fact. I did not know that he would have killed himself in the end. So I was like, oh, this is a lot, but maybe he just really, like, laid it out for the cops when he was arrested. Yeah, that's been done before. Um, Some murderers are just, like, really into the idea of everyone. Yeah. giving them credit for what they've done. And they want to tell you everything that they did. This was not the case. No, so none of this is real. Um, So really, after finishing it, I was slightly horrified because it was just like a lot of, again, like gratuitous sex, both pre- and post-death. A morbid touch? During death, yes, a very morbid touch. Um, And just like a lot of exploration into that that I didn't need to read in my Seems like the author's problem. Yeah, we might need to check on him. Someone. Psycho Val. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that's how I felt about that. And so then it was interesting for me to get to the end of the book and to see that, in fact, none of that could be... Well, if Herb's dead and the victims are dead... And there's no tapes. There's no tapes. There's no way to know what really happened. Right. Because all that was left was bones. I mean, they found a few bodies on I-70, but the ones that were in his yard were... There's... I imagine there's no way to know exactly how they died. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And actually, so the account that they had with Tony, who survived him... Was really the only way that they knew, like, his M.O. and what was going on in that pool house. And there wasn't, like, a hugely sexual... I mean, there was a sexual component to it, but it wasn't in the way that it had been described. Well, what I read was a little bit more graphic about the Tony situation. Um, The account that I got was... They go to the pool house, and then Herb has Tony choke him out with the hose. Not in my book at all. Well, he is, I imagine, violently masturbating. Okay. And then does the same to Tony, but... So Tony thinks, like, oh, he trusts me to do it. Maybe this is just what we're doing. I need to get to the bottom of who the fuck Brian Smart is and what his deal is. Okay. Abides with that, and then Herb is not letting go. He keeps choking Tony. Um, so that's when Tony pretends to pass out. That's interesting. That was left out of my book. That's the one true gruesome fact. Yeah. He said, no, thank you. This is too much. I'll be over here. 
weeping? No, just describing a lot of other graphic sex that was completely unnecessary for the narrative. Yeah, there's a... And that's a lot. Yes, I'm going to give it a one out of five wine bottles for that. Because it tricked you? Because I have to go to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've got some uh, additional fun facts. Would you like them? Lay them on me. Is it more about the mannequins, which is what I'm really No, I don't have any more information about that. In 2009, Rob and Vicki Graves bought the Fox Hollow Farm, knowing full well what took place. Stop. I can't. It's true. How much did they buy it for? Uh... I want to say, I think it was for sale for $2.3 million. There were There was bone gravel. And I feel like what I read was that they got it for a third of that, which is still a lot of money for a oh murder farm. How much would you, 18 acres? Yeah. How? The house is, I mean, for like 90s style farm, it's beautiful. How much would you pay for it if you knew? And you'd have to know, I bet they have to disclose they for sure, I mean, there's no way they, the name of the farm is in all of this. <laughs> like, it's a named house. You can't now hide it. Um, how much would you pay for it? I don't know that I would, I don't think I could do it. I don't think that I could either. I was going to say a dollar, but I don't think that's true. I could never live there. I couldn't live there. They love it. So they move in. There's all of these reports of hauntings. Um, <laughs> they said that there is a guy in a red shirt. I don't know whether or not. The, what I'm going to say at the end of this is true, but there's a guy that they see in a red shirt floating through the yard, and when they run out to see if it's an actual person, they realize that it's a ghost with no legs. <laughs> okay, go with me. And eventually, so they see him a couple times, eventually they do some like investigating on the property and find in the area that he was seen in more bones that were not uncovered during the initial investigation. Don't know that that's true, but this is the only place that I read it. <laughs> Again, the story is just full of bullshit at this point. We've got fake connections to female murders. We've got a lot of gruesome details. We've got this haunting that may or may not have happened. However, Where did you find this narrative about the haunting? Don't worry, I'm going to keep going. Okay, okay. Um, what we can do, Victoria, in 2000... Oh, I don't know. I think it was 2012, maybe 2013... Vicky and Rob Graves agree. I'm sorry, his name is Rob Graves? Rob Graves. <laughs> A real name, I Go imagine. Ahead. Go ahead. They're contacted by this company, American Hauntings, okay. that does ghost tours. Um, they agree to open up their house Stop it. five nights a year. Can we go? For $90 a ticket, we can go. It's still running. There's one in April. Or no, maybe August of this year. Okay, two things. One, let's go. Two. Apparently, they sell out very quickly, well, you like months put a in advance. You have to get them. So now. Right. I think we should go. How far is that from us? You know, I don't know. I think it's far. We'll find out. We 10, can drive there. 12 hours. Um, Worth it, probably. Also, I'll tell you, my student just turned in a paper called How to Catch a Ghost. We can use it. Yeah, I think that'd be totally worth it. Yeah, I do too. We can do an episode from there. I just love that, that en- that's how that ends. I don't know that I love that Rob Graves is up there making money on that murder, but we're going anyway. Well, okay, yeah. When you put it that way, it's probably not great to be able to profit off of that horror, but it's a fun fact. <laughs> it is a fun fact. <laughs> and we can go. Will you post some pics of the house on the Instagram? Absolutely. Okay. I got some good ones. Um, hey, what's our Instagram? It's at Murder She Read Pod. 
That is correct. We also have an email address. It is, for a fact, murdersheredpod at gmail.com. Don't worry, I checked. We have no emails, but I just wanted to make sure. It's time to send us some. It is time. Give us book suggestions. Give us book club questions. Just yell at us if you want to. Yeah, and maybe give us, if you do give us a book suggestion, I would love it if it could be fact-based. No, I think this is more fun when I get to tell you that you're wrong a lot. Yeah, I don't appreciate what I did today. It was a waste, <laughs> a waste of a Wednesday is what happened to me. We definitely could have had a longer episode if any of it would have been true. <laughs> no, the book was still only 125 pages. That's fair. This is going to be a short one. A little itty bitty. I think that's fine. Yeah, we don't need so to have cute. a set time on these things. I'm sure people appreciate not having to listen to us talk for another 20 minutes. Who doesn't love a shorter session than what you're promised? (laughs) (laughs) Everyone. Um, All right, guys. Well, that's what we've got for you this eve. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please rate and review us. That's so helpful. It really is going to make a big difference in our (laughs) lives. I promise. Um, And also, I'll give you a little sneak peek. Not next week's episode but the week after we're doing a giveaway what are we giving away we're gonna give away these titty glasses that we drink from every single time not the ones that we're drinking from well no that's disgusting we're gonna give some fresh (laughs) ones away i don't have a dishwasher who knows what you're drinking right now there's peanut butter in there um but we're gonna give away a fresh pair of the titty glasses we drink from every week as well as if you live somewhere where we can send you or give you a bottle of wine um, one of the bottles that we've drank in recent episodes, or we'll send you a gift card to the liquor store if you're choosing. Yeah. The wine that we drink is really good because I pick it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going with. Uh, we definitely won't choose it for you. We'll let you have some say in that. But we'll, uh, you'll see exactly what that's going to entail in a couple weeks. Um, but thanks for listening to us. Um, and I apologize for any factual inconsistencies I stumbled upon. You can write to Ryan Green and let him know. It's not the same Green that wrote The Fault in Our Stars, I think right? That's John Green, but maybe Different. it's his like, really sad brother. <laughs> I really like the idea of this being John Green's sad brother. <laughs> Twisted fucking brother in the basement. He's like, what I'm going to do is take on the mantle of murderers. Yeah, it worked for him. Yeah. He fooled great. you. Yeah, I got it for free on Kindle. He's doing well. Um, all right, so on that very optimistic note, let's get out of here. All right, goodbye. Wait. Oop. Are you ready to close the book? We didn't close the book. Yeah, please close the book forever on You Think You Know Me. Yes, close it. Close. Goodbye. Bye.